Welcome to Eat, Drink, and Do Good, the monthly newsletter and now podcast from Studio Atau. I'm Jenny Dorsey, the studio's executive director. Every month, we bring you fresh op-eds from new and emerging writers from across the U.S., covering a variety of social justice topics that will encourage you to think a little more critically about the world around you. Each podcast episode features the writers themselves reading aloud their work, and we hope you'll learn as much from them as we did. Thank you for listening, and if you're enjoying this podcast, please also consider supporting us via Patreon at patreon.com slash studio atau, that's studio A-T-A-O, or via one-time gift on our website at studiotau.org slash donate. I hope you love the op-ed today. New Millennialism Where Culture is About Resistance by Likum Kensire. A 2013 Times Magazine article labeled Millennials, the generation born roughly between 1980 to 1996, the me, me, me generation, for selfishly rejecting the current culture of work. Although Millennials were already the largest generation in the U.S. workforce by 2016, it has still taken a worldwide pandemic to act as the inflection point for a new millennial-led economy. What we are seeing now between the Great Resignation and the Lying Flat protests are dynamic shifts to a new approach to living and working in the modern era. The Great Resignation is a recognition of worker power and human value, leading to the mass quitting of mainly younger workers in the Western world. The Lying Flat or Tangping protests are the Chinese equivalent, as Chinese workers dismiss grueling work hours and the pervasive sentiment of working only to live. This millennial-led change is battling over 200 years of capitalist expectation, rooted in two relational processes to work, alienation and conspicuous consumption. The theory of alienation is one of the most enduring legacies of the Industrial Revolution, where workers' connection to and control over their own labor is dramatically reduced. Famed philosophic and economic theorist Karl Marx believed this had major implications beyond just work life, and I quote, Within the capitalist mode of production, the individual loses their control over their work. Ultimately, workers lose the liberty to think for themselves and to make their own decisions. End quote. The rise of U.S. capitalism further alienated with the 1920s movement of Fordism. This streamlined, routinized, and systematized systems of production in order to produce a massive supply of identical goods. As a result, leftist scholar Thorstein Veblen noted how consumers began to engage in conspicuous consumption, or the act of consuming economic goods to show how wealthy you are to others, i.e. keeping up with the Joneses. Even when incredible inventions such as the steam engine and mass railways increased our production output, hypothetically freeing up workers' time, conspicuous consumption put a monetary value on human value, encouraging workers to gauge their own worth by how much material goods they could afford. Thus, whatever efficiencies were realized from the industrialized system were consistently absorbed by the need for conspicuous waste, or consumption beyond the point of necessity. Half a century from Fordism and the rise of conspicuous consumption, however, the system began to see problems. Providing livable incomes for workers who were demanding better pay and more rights obstructed the high profits for companies in the post-World War II boom. 
The end of the 1970s saw the beginning of the neoliberal era, as global capitalism continued to expand and worker power continued to decline. According to the EPI, workers' incomes from 1979 to 2007 dropped by over 17,000 US dollars. That means even the oldest millennials only know a world of stagnating wages. It is no surprise then that millennials are more stressed and anxious than any generation before. Overworked and overanxious, millennials have responded to the ongoing crises by reshaping their world through radical changes. Part of that reshaping has been a far more critical analysis of what sacrifices are being made geopolitically to satisfy what we've internalized as a white-collar lifestyle. Our desire for lower and lower prices in the Western world keeps the global south working merciless jobs for poor wages. If our goal is to intervene in this vicious cycle, the first step is to liberate ourselves. Switching from conspicuous consumption to conscious consumption is a focused effort to support companies and products that are worker-run and worker-led. The key difference between a true worker-empowered company versus firms hiding behind performative marketing lies in decision-making. Starbucks is a great example of a company that engages in progressive campaigning around environmental and racial issues like Black Lives Matter, but supports anti-union and other anti-worker efforts. Compare that to the Melindy Tea Factory, the largest factory in Rwanda owned and operated by local cooperatives. While the Woods Foundation, a British nonprofit, provides training and resources, production control remains the sole propriety of the Cooperative du Tea Melindy and the Cooperative de T. Villejoie-Malini. In this model of solidarity, Western allies still have a role to play, but only when their goals are aligned with worker empowerment. Another necessary shift is the reclaim of our productive capabilities. Instead of continuing to allow our time, and by default our money, to be spent on harmful labor conditions, academic Carissa Honeywell advocates for doing what is possible within a dangerous social context to reduce harm, even if one cannot remove the entire threat. Based on practicalism, the practice of harm reduction understands that survival within an exploitative superstructures of capitalism is radical in and of itself. For example, during the AIDS epidemic, community organizations like Prevent Point, which is still in operation today, created harm reductive health models when official institutions were deliberately neglecting the LGBTQ community. Community survival and resilience are key to our collective struggle. Just as Prevent Point created shadow institutions to provide services to disenfranchised groups, millennialism is a movement to remove us from the dominant culture of exploitation by pushing alternative versions of consumption and work. Leave it to my fellow millennial, Kendrick Lamar, to provide the best concept of millennialism through his three albums, Section 80, To Film a Butterfly, and Untitled Unmastered. In the last one, he sums up what millennials want in this age of anxiety. I shall enjoy the fruits of my labor if I am freed today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find all prior issues of Eat, Drink, and Do Good on Studio Tao's website at studiotao.org newsletter. I'm Emily Chen, the head of content at the studio. Every month, we'll be releasing a new newsletter and podcast with social justice analyses from new and emerging writers. Make sure to sign up for our mailing list and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to be the first to know on all new episodes. All of our contributors are paid for their time and work, so if you're able, 
please consider supporting us as a monthly donor via Patreon or via a one-time gift at studiotau.org donate. Thank you for listening.